This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February the 1st, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Fareed Khan comments on Canada's first special representative to combat Islamophobia in Canada. Kevin Shaw will share his thoughts on the media coverage of the economy. I have some thoughts on that one too. And Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller will explore the impact of Canada's plastic ban on people with disabilities. Lots of news to discuss with you today, including our top story once again falling into the world of economy. You know this because I told you this yesterday in the morning. StatsCan released its gross domestic product growth numbers yesterday. Overall, the economy grew 0.1% in November and an annualized pace of 1.6% for the quarter. RBC Assistant Chief Economist Nathan Jansen laid out how consumer spending habits impacted those numbers. Uh, consumer spending is still pretty strong, but you know, retail trade uh, declined. Uh, spending in uh, or output in, in accommodation and food services uh, declined. And we know, uh, um, you know, in survey data from the Bank of Canada, uh, that uh, those are the kinds of uh, spending categories that are that are getting impacted the most by uh, higher inflation and, and interest rates. A few more economic notes to pass along. The U.S. Federal Reserve will make its interest rate announcement later this morning. Analysts are predicting another bump of the key interest rate. Also in the U.S., President Joe Biden will meet with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy about raising the debt ceiling. In other words, they'll meet to discuss whether or not the government should pay its bills. And one more economy story from abroad. Up to half a million workers are expected to go on strike across Britain today. Charles de Ledesma has that story. Thousands of schools are closing some or all of their classrooms. Train services are paralysed and delays expected at airports as teachers, university staff, civil servants, border officials and train and bus drivers walk out of their jobs on the same day. The mass strike marks an escalation of disruptive action across multiple key industries. Unions are stepping up pressure on the government to demand better pay as wages fail to keep Keep pace with soaring inflation. Charles de Ledesma, London. And coming back to Canada, following up on a story that we shared with you yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the federal government is talking to provinces and territories about new standards for the quality design and operations of long-term care homes in Canada. The Health Standards Organization released new guidelines yesterday laying out how long-term care services should be delivered. Trudeau says developing a framework is a top priority. We recognize the responsibility and the jurisdiction of provinces in these areas, but I think all Canadians, regardless of the order of government, uh, want seniors to have the best quality of care possible, and that's what we're going to continue to work on. NDP health critic Don Davies says these new guidelines have to be up front and centre in legislation. We need to make sure that, that long-term care homes um, are meeting the standards that are set in legislation, the minimum standards. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, what long-term care legislation requires. And if, if it's going to be safe, then those standards have to be in the legislation. The recommendations include four hours a day of direct care and raising pay for long-term care employees. And one more story for you. Now, pay attention to this one because it's going to relate to the daily poll. The Conservative Party has set a fundraising record for a non-election year under the leadership of Pierre Poilievre. Brenda Molina-Navidad has the numbers. Elections Canada data show that during the last three months of 2022, the Conservatives brought in over $9.7 million from more than 66,000 donors. That compares to the Liberals' $5.8 million and the NDP's $2.5 million, with the Bloc Québécois bringing in a little less than $900,000 and the Greens a little more than $800,000. It was the first full quarter since Polyev became the Conservative leader in September. And Elections Canada shows he's also outperformed his predecessors, Erin O'Toole and Andrew Scheer. Brenda Molina-Navidad, 
the Canadian press. Again, that's going to come up in the daily polls in today's daily poll. But before we get to today's question, here are the results from yesterday's question at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What factors might influence you to move from one province to another? 8% of you said job opportunities, 69% of you said cost of living, nice, 8% of you said weather, and 15% of you said social services. John writes in on Facebook in the 1970s, there was a mass move to Alberta. At the time, Alberta had the best health care. Watch for that to be a big factor soon. Thank you to John for writing in at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Today's Daily Poll relates to the story that Brenda Melina Navidad just shared with you. I'm asking you at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Have you ever donated money to a political party or a politician? Yes or no? Backtracking to that story that Brenda brought to you, in the last quarter of 2022, nearly $15 million was donated to political parties across the country. And that's just the federal political parties, let alone provinces or municipalities or political candidates that you liked individually. $15 million in total was donated to these parties. What a colossal waste of money. Do you know how much impact you could have made in your community donating that to a charity or helping people in need? No, instead you're giving it to politicians and political parties so they can hire more analysts and more media people and do more tweets and social media. I have no idea why anyone would donate money to a political party. Hey, donate your time. If you believe in a politician's cause and you believe in what they're fighting for is right, then yeah, go knock on doors, go make phone calls, go to events, help them organize. But just giving them your money? Are you serious? Are you kidding me? You just want to give money to political parties and think, yep, that'll solve the problem. And then you're going to complain, nothing ever gets done. Yo, you want to make something happen in this world? Donate your money to causes that are actually going to make immediate positive impact. Don't just give money to politicians so they can buy sweet new suits and fund their private jets on campaigns. So I think you know maybe where I land on to whether or not I've donated money to a political party or a politician. Alex Smythe, what about you? So Dave, you've clearly donated to political parties. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm reading oh, here, Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. You know, I... I, I don't really see any situation where I would ever donate to any specific politician or political party in general. I, I just don't believe in it. I mean, uh, you made a very compelling argument, which I 100% agree with. Like, if you want to donate something, donate your time, as you as you eloquently and passionately said. But uh, I, I would say, too, it's like I never find myself aligning to any specific leader or party wholeheartedly enough to really be like, oh, I fully support this person. It's like you you kind of look around at the political landscape and you'll be like, well, I agree with this, but I don't agree with that. I like this part of their platform. I don't like this part. So I've, I've never felt myself that I fully fit in one political party or another. Now, there was a time where I was, you know, really uh, connected to a very specific political leader, and that was Jack Layton. But those were... That was decades ago at this point. And it was one of those things that that was right when I was kind of getting into early voting stages and unfortunately he passed away. So that my answer may have changed if if he was still around and still in politics today. But uh, yeah, right now, I, I don't foresee any instance where I'm going to be donating to a political party because as you say, it just... It just creates more of this kind of back and forth that we already are sick of with uh, uh, politics. And it's like, oh, you, you get more money to throw more campaign ads and more fundraisers to to get more uh, influence over the same issues where it's like, oh, just work together. If, if you want my money, you know, well, work to earn it. Do some good. Yeah. Uh, put in some political causes that I care about or I think are good reflections of it. Now, I I will push back a bit on your argument where you're saying, well, it's like it's it's completely useless. I, I wouldn't say that. If if you believe in what they're doing and you want to support their agenda to try and get certain laws, certain uh platform uh notes passed, then I can see why you would want to help fund 
that. But I, I think, especially when you look in uh, politics and the states and stuff like that, you see the impacts of what money can cause in politics. And frankly, I don't see a lot of positives. Ah, you mentioned the United States, and it is worth mentioning that just looking at individual Senate or House races, not even talking about the fundraising that goes along during non-election years, the number last year was in the billions of dollars in the amount of fundraising that took place to put those campaigns on. Billions of dollars. Not 20 million or 15 and a million and a quarter, but billions of dollars in 2022 went towards putting politicians in seats across the U.S. That is just a staggering amount of money. And again, I, you're right, Alex. If people want to uh, lobby politicians for particular laws and particular favors, certainly money will talk and money might offer you some influence when they do hold that power but it totally breaks the point of making great policy if anything there's too much money in politics as it stands alex we got to get out of here but thank you for your thoughts on that one at accessible media is where you share your thoughts and vote on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote and share your thoughts on Facebook. You can also join the conversation via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give us a ring-ding-ding, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Let's go back to Alex, who has the National Weather Update. your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's snow and blowing snow this morning, and then it'll be a mix of sun and clouds. There's wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 7, with a wind chill of minus 19. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, there's clouds clearing this morning, making their way for sunshine. The high is minus 7 as well, but it's slightly warmer with the wind chill making it feel like minus 60. In Montreal, Quebec, it's clear this morning and then becoming a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow in the afternoon. The high is minus 9 and a wind chill makes it feel like minus 23, but there is also a smog advisory in effect in the area due to high pollutants in the air. In Ottawa, Ontario, there's mainly cloudy and possible snow throughout the day. The high is minus 7, feeling like minus 23. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. Minus four is the high for Toronto, but we're going to be feeling more like minus 18 with that wind chill. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it is mainly sunny. The high is 13, but it's feeling like minus 37 with that wind chill. So as you can imagine, an extreme cold warning is in effect. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, that extreme cold continues as it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow, the highest minus 17, and again, feeling like minus 37. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy with periods of snow this morning, the highest minus 16, feeling like minus 30. In Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow later on into the afternoon, the high is minus five, and feeling like minus 23. In Edmonton, Alberta, there's up to two centimeters of snow expected to fall today. The high is minus 13, feeling like minus 27. Up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it is sunny, but extremely cold. The high is minus 34, but feeling like minus 51. The extreme cold warning is in effect in the area. To Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain today, and the high is 6 degrees. And finally, in Victoria, B.C., it's similar conditions. It's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain this morning and a high of 5 degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Fareed Khan comments on Canada's first special representative to combat Islamophobia. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Last week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appointed human rights advocate Amira Al-Gawabi to be Canada's first special representative to combat Islamophobia. To talk more about this appointment is Fareed Khan. Fareed is the founder of Canadians United Against Hate and is generously taking some time to speak to us from Ottawa this morning. Hey, good morning, Fareed. Nice to speak with you once again. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. So, Fareed, let's start here. Your general reaction to Amira Al-Gawabi being appointed as the special representative. Well, um, it's a very positive move. Um, it took far too long to get uh, to this stage uh, after the government announced the position in the summer of uh, 2021. But uh, we're here now. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see what happens. Um, I'll have to wait and see uh, how much freedom she has to actually do what she's supposed to do, and uh, uh, let's hope that it uh, it works towards eliminating Islamophobia from this country. When you mention what she has to do, the roles and duties that she'll be taking on, what do you believe those roles and duties will be? Well, I think the very first uh, role is not is to advise the government and also to push the government to put in place policies and uh, programs that eliminate uh, Islamophobia and hate in general, frankly. Um, uh, so we have issues of Islamophobia within government. There have been reports issued about Islamophobia at uh, CSIS, the National Security Agency in Canada. There have been reports about Islamophobia at the Canada Revenue Agency, where um, Muslim charities are un, uh, unfairly targeted, like disproportionately by a huge amount by uh, Revenue uh, Canada. And uh, there's the issue of Islamophobia more broadly in society where we have acts of hate being committed across the country and yet um, uh, while politicians are only too quick to stand in front of a microphone or a camera, um, it's not the case when uh, to, sorry, uh, the action that is needed to eliminate it is too slow in, uh, in being implemented. If you were to be offering Amira some advice, how would you go about encouraging her to tackle these duties, priorities, and responsibilities? Um, well, I'm a bit more of a pushy guy, so <laughs> if I was in that role, it would be a bit different. Um, but uh, I, I would say to her, stand fast. Don't allow yourself to be silenced. Don't allow yourself to be... Um, uh, manipulated unfortunately you know we are talking about this position working in a political world um for the politicians it's very much about uh, optics um i think one of the reasons that uh amir was selected i mean she's a very qualified person i do know her um and she has a very very good human rights and anti-racism pedigree but one of the reasons they chose a hijab-wearing Muslim woman to fill the role was they wanted good optics. Mm. Uh, but don't let the optics overrun <clears throat> the job that needs to be done, which is the press pressuring the government to do what needs to be done. And if necessary, be bold enough to speak truth to power in a very public way. Fareed, you mentioned some of the systemic context going on, especially with some of the institutions that exist inside this country right now. But it also comes in the backdrop of a lot of the struggle going on with provincial laws in Quebec, say Bill 21 or Bill 96, limiting uh, the wearing of religious symbols or languages spoken. When we're talking about some of those systemic challenges, as well as maybe even a battle with other politicians, how important is this role in this moment? Well, as I said, I, I mean, the role is important, but um, one of the key, uh, I think, responsibilities of this role, as I said, is to speak truth to power. So um, Amr al-Hawabi, who is the special representative for Islamophobia, she was only appointed, I think the announcement was made last Thursday. And then <clears throat> almost immediately, we had a reaction from the Quebec government saying she's unacceptable and that she should resign or be fired because um, she wrote an op-ed uh, back in 2019, uh, or she, she co-authored an op-ed where she condemned uh, Bill 21 and said in the op-ed that it's based on the prejudice against Muslims in Quebec society. Now, that's very true, it is. 
It is, and um, I wrote a similar op-ed um, around that time, and I've spoken very publicly about the racism and Islamophobia inherent in Bill 21. And I have bas- I have said uh, very publicly, and I'll say it again, I think Premier Francois Legault is racist, and he runs a racist party. His interest is to cater to that segment of uh, the Quebec, white Francophone Quebec majority, who supports him, who have anti-Muslim prejudices. And I know that that sounds very harsh, but the thing is, it's, it's, it's the same as someone who has a friend who is an alcoholic and saying, hey, you're an alcoholic and you need to do something to change this before it uh, destroys you. Well, <clears throat> in the context of the, the Canadian family, Quebec is the alcoholic and they need to address this very real issue of Islamophobia. I mean, this is a government that doesn't even admit there's systemic racism in the province or mm-hmm. that Islamophobia is a real problem problem in this province. So I, I think with respect to what uh, Amara has to do, she has to speak very strongly. She has to speak in a very uh, public way. Um, and yes, you know what? Try and work with those who are willing to work. Try and work with those who see the problem and want to address the problem. But if they don't want to address the problem, and, and in her case, it's clear that the Quebec government doesn't want to address the problem, then you have to uh, basically um, do some tough, tough love. Fareed, you mentioned the province of Quebec. Uh, we just marked the sixth anniversary of the mass shooting. It's at the Islamic Cultural Center in Quebec City that cost six people their lives and injured 19 more. When when we think about that in context, this has gone beyond rhetoric. How how do situations like that or the London the London car attack from a couple of years ago? How do those present some context and challenge in the way that we're talking about Islamophobia? Well, it's you know what those those two incidents um, are prime examples of um, the reality of hate in our society and a hate that runs so deep that someone is willing to murder other people just because they are different in some way. And that hate, in my view, is not being addressed in an aggressive enough manner. We have a rise in white supremacy. We've gone from uh, several years ago from 100 white supremacist groups in the country to more than 300 white supremacist groups in the country. We have the toxicity of social media where um, you have trolls uh, who promote hate, um, neo-Nazi ideologies and white supremacy online. And you have the very physical um, reality of people being threatened in the real world. There have been multiple incidents of um, attacks against hijab-wearing Muslim women in uh, in Alberta over the last couple of years and in BC. Um, you mentioned the two attacks where people got murdered. There was another attack in September 2020 outside a mosque in West End Toronto where a Muslim volunteer was stabbed to death outside the mosque by a neo-Nazi. So there have been 11 uh, deaths of Muslims in hate-motivated incidents in Canada. And Canada has had more deaths, more murders of Muslims in hate-motivated acts than all other G7 nations combined. So, I mean, that tells you where things stand. So, you know, moving forward, there needs to be a much more aggressive um, approach to fighting hate, and we need to do more than appoint positions and, and do photo ops. I mean, I think this position is important, but unless there is concrete results in very short order, it will be seen in, as another PR stunt. Yeah, whenever we're talking about disability policy on the show, which comes up frequently considering our, our, our core purpose, we always are very cognizant of the idea of an appointment versus action. That it's, that, it's, that it's great to acknowledge a problem, but unless there's concrete steps and policy moving in place, it can be very difficult to say, are we truly fighting for inclusion? Are we fighting for a less discriminatory country? Uh, Fareed, I've asked you this before, so I apologize that I always end up sort of our, ending our conversations here, but what do you feel the federal government should be doing immediately in terms of combating racism, hate, Islamophobia, whatever, whatever title we want to put that under or umbrella we want to put that under? What do you believe the federal government could be doing today? Parliament's back in session this week. What should what steps should they be taking? 
Well, right now the government is in uh, budget consultations and I think they need to put more money on the table. Last year um, in the federal budget, the government committed $84 million over four years uh, towards combating hate as part of their anti-hate strategy. That's $21 million a year, and frankly, that's completely inadequate to the task at, at hand. So first of all, there should be a commitment for funds. I would say, you know, $84 million per year, as opposed to $84 million over uh, over four years. Mm. In addition, the government needs to take a uh, very uh, hands-on and aggressive approach to combating hate by uh, launching a national anti-hate uh, uh, strategy, working with provincial and municipal governments, and work with uh, on this issue in the same way that they uh, worked on the COVID-19 pandemic. Hate is a pandemic in this country that's been around far longer than COVID-19. It has resulted in the murders of 11 uh, Muslim men and women. Um, it has affected communities uh, across the country, not just the Muslim community, but also the Jewish community, black community, indigenous community, LGBTQ2 community, um, and uh, Asian community. And uh, lives are being disrupted, people's lives are being affected. And so the government needs to be a far more aggressive in this. And it also needs to address the racism and, and uh, white privilege within its own institutions. A couple of years ago, there was an incident where Jagmeet Singh, the only racialized leader of a party, was kicked out of the House of Commons because he took issue with a member of the Bloc Québécois and called him a racist. And instead of uh, addressing that issue, the Speaker threw Jagmeet Singh out of the House. Mm -hmm. So um, these are very real issues, and some of them are very close to the uh, top of the power pyramid in this country. And uh, they need to be addressed very aggressively, and it needs to happen now because we've been talking about this for far too long. Fareed, speaking of Parliament, uh, one of the interesting things about the new setup here with our new studio and control room is people get a chance to listen in on segments before they pop on the air. And you heard me uh, somewhat pop off on donating to political parties during our daily poll, which folks can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And the question we're asking folks today is, have you ever donated money? to a political party, yes or no. And I went off a little bit uh, talking about the notion of a colossal waste of money to be donating money to political parties. And you heard that and you had some thoughts. So I'm curious if you want to uh, take me to task for a few of the things that I said. Well, I don't want to take you to task, but I, I have uh, a bit of a disagreement with uh, your approach uh, on the issue. Um, the fact is that politics operates on money and it's not the way it is in the United States where money can actually buy politicians. That's not the case here in Canada. We actually have a publicly, um, a, a partially publicly funded system. So when you donate money to your political party of choice, you get some of that back in, uh, in a tax uh, credit. Um, <clears throat> the fact is that if we didn't have a system where people donated to the, um, uh, to the political party that they prefer, we would have a completely publicly funded system where uh, money comes from the taxpayer. So one way or the other, money is coming from the taxpayer to fund the political system. And I, I remember hearing uh, a politician at an event speak many years ago who said that, uh, frankly, money is the lifeblood of politics. And if you want to have a government and policies that are catering to the interests you find important or put in place public policies that you think are necessary, then you have to get involved in politics in some way. And part one of those ways is donating. So, you know, we, we have limitations on how much people can donate. And uh, you mentioned the uh, figure $15 million, which obviously is a lot of money to the vast majority of people. But when you compare it to um, what we see in the United States, it's actually a pittance. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's part of the system that we we live with. And if we want to see the policies uh, put in place that we think would make for a better country, then we have to get involved. And for some of us, getting involved means donating to a political party. Fareed, I knew you would have an amazing perspective to share on that one. Thank you for your wise words, as always, on this show. No, thank you again for having me back. That is Fareed Khan. Fareed is the founder of Canadians United Against Hate, speaking to you from Ottawa. Coming up next, we shift gears and lighten things up a little bit when Clover Thursday shares some tips on staying motivated with your New Year's resolutions. Mine have gone out the window very, very quickly. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Can you believe it's already been a month since the new year? February 1st, where did January go? It went up in smoke. Some of your New Year's resolutions may be hitting a wall. I know a few of mine already have fallen by the wayside. So how can you stay motivated? Columnist Clover Thursday is here to offer up some tips. Hey, good morning, Clover. Great to chat with you once again. Good morning, Dave. So, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's been a month. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild that 31 days of 2023 is already up in smoke and already up and in the books. Uh, Clover, I mentioned that a few of my resolutions have somewhat fallen by the wayside. How are yours holding up? You know, they're holding up okay. You know, um, I... You know, I used to not make New Year's resolutions at all, but it's just that time of year. It's just like you're already thinking back and looking forward. So this year I did make some and we're doing okay. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Sometimes these things adjust in real time. So one of the things that I that I said I would do, and I have been working on it, is trying to be better at accepting kindness without guilt. I find that I'm someone who who people will offer me a kindness, and I'm like, no, 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 I don't want your kindness because I'm guilty about accepting it. So I'm still actively working on that one. But a few of like the little things, like oh, you know, eat less chocolate raisins or drink less beer, uh, those things have have absolutely fallen by the wayside. Or wake up every morning and go to the gym. No, that one's also not working for me. But there are things that you notice that pop up along the way. You start developing these habits. And one of the things for me that popped up is I'm no longer buying my coffee in the morning and I'm no longer buying bottles of water. I'm relying on the resources that we have here in the building. There's a coffee machine, use it. There's a sink and you have a brand new now with Dave Brown a reusable water bottle, you use it, you fill it up. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm saving like $100 a month month doing this in terms of my expenses. So it's funny, right? Sometimes you might have a really ambitious resolution or a measurable goal, but as you move along, you're like, oh, some self-improvement is just kind of happening organically. No, absolutely. And I think in a way, that's kind of a really good way of doing it. That just, you know, a, a year is 365 days um, and it, there will be progress and there will be all these little changes and curves and turns and whatnot. Um, but it's it's that even that little bit of baseline motivation, if you can keep up and like see and celebrate those little um, those little accomplishments, it really works out. And it, it works that way that way with like New Year's resolutions of like, you know, I know some of my New Year's resolutions is, you know, to be less wasteful with food and resources, but also I always have the, the great standing goal of like accomplishing some of my own like creative projects or trying different things out and things like that. So but it's, it's, it's always been, it's always good. It's always good to have those little victories. <laughs> Where do you stand on measurability? Like maybe keeping a to-do list or making things time-oriented. How, how do you approach that? First of all, to-do lists are my love language. I, <laughs> I, I, love, I, love, I, love, I love lists. I love the satisfaction of like crossing something out. And I think it's so, so important to have, you know, you can have these, big goals but these big goals will take time and it can be so hard to um keep sight of those goals but these little these little measurable like you know wins and victories they're all little stepping stones to those goals so and i think that's what kind of keeps you most motivated to you know do that big thing finish that big project you know lose that 100 pounds like i i think that um, that kind of mindset relates whether your um, resolutions are creative or personal health, like that kind of thinking will help. Yeah, so measure yeah. goals. And, and and it can be like it, it can be a real struggle, right? You mentioned sort of the, the losing weight thing. That can be a real yo-yo. We know that's something that people can struggle with. I know I've struggled with it over the years, the last decade or so, uh, yo-yoing up and yo-yoing down uh, across a pretty wide spectrum. What tips do you have for people who might be struggling to keep their goals they set for themselves? Well, what tips I have, again, I'm kind of looking to see this for a creative lens, but again, just That's a general cool, though, lens. Like, yeah, you're, you're a creative person. Like, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's reasonable that you would apply your lens to, like, that lens to the way you're thinking about these things. Yeah, definitely. But um, I'm always big on, you know, accountability, whether it's, um, you know, again, with the weight loss goal, you know, you, a lot of people tend to have gym buddies or something oh, that they go to yeah. the gym with and like, you know, you're kind of suffering together and, you know, it helps you kind of get to the gym. And I, I apply that with creative creativity too. You know, you have a kind of a creative friend that you go and you kind of 
work out creatively or, you know, air your grievances out or figure out like problems or just stay motivated with each other. So I'm always a big believer of, you know, having, you know, a community or a friend or just someone, you know, to hold some accountability to. That's always a big one. Um, I think uh, another one is having some patience with yourself. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, like, you know, again, it's that yo-yo and that up and down. And then sometimes you're picking up the brush or the pen or the note sewing needle or whatever you're trying to do, and you're going to hit some walls. And it's about being kind of kind to yourself and patient with yourself and knowing like, okay, you know, we love to think art is this beautiful, whimsical thing. And you're creating these masterpieces every time you pick them up, but it is a process. Um, and it's just knowing that it is working through the frustration and sometimes putting it down and walking away and coming back to it, um, you know, when you're a bit more focused and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of a pause button, right? To say some, some days are just not going to be your day and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Clover, I love that you used the word community there because I, that, that's a word that I've really been circling around a lot over the course of the last years. I've been talking to a few friends who are living in places where they're not super happy and I sometimes express, oh, I'm not crazy happy living in Toronto. And one of the big things we always come back to is community, right? We always come back to this idea of doing things with others and whether it be the gym pursuit or an artistic pursuit or people who might be involved in like theater or music, it always seems like that's one of the things we're striving for is to build better stronger communities around us and, and I don't mean that in terms of in terms of like a formal institution I literally mean being like wow there's someone who I really look forward to seeing today when I go to the theater or I go to the gym or I go to wherever yeah absolutely and I, I think that's a that's a big a big secret and and just you know keeping those things going and starting up new projects too and like i guess going back to the idea because there's always the idea of like well you know i have to stick to a new year's resolution like i have to be laser focused on it but you know life happens you know and sometimes different opportunities or different things will grab your attention and it's okay to even pivot a little bit from our our goals especially if we have a larger goal you know we, we like to think that we have this big thing and like, you know, we know exactly how it's going to go, but um, sometimes it'll just pivot a little bit or it's good to have like other kind of projects that you're kind of taking on that kind of feed into that. Like I remember one year I was really trying to be like, you know, more creative and get more of my own projects done and do more personal drawing and illustrating. And I was really struggling with that. Um, you know, like, especially when you're, you know, doing this professionally to find that time to, you know, do stuff for yourself. And I found I actually had to pivot a little bit and go back to the idea of creative writing. What's something I really do enjoy doing. And I, I don't know, I don't do it professionally. It's just something I like to do. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, writing those stories and writing those little things actually motivated me to, you know, illustrate them and like do those personal projects and like make some smaller comics and, and passion projects that like came out of just deciding I'm going to write instead of, you know, f force myself to draw when I'm not, not there yet. So it's funny like that. It, 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 it's interesting you mentioned the idea of multiple projects, right? Because in one way that could be a distraction. All of a sudden you're looking at 15 goals instead of one goal. But in a way, doesn't that really help clear the clutter sometimes too? When you can, when you can hit that pause button, can forgive yourself and move on to something different. When you think about your goals or your accomplishments in a broader sense, saying a multitude of interests actually keeps the mind sane instead of overly busy. <laughs> Yes, we're all about keeping the mind sane here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to. But yes, absolutely. And I think that's like the surprise of having a, a, a big goal. Suddenly that big goal is really all those little pieces that we we're talking about, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I've been a very goal-oriented person for a long time, I, especially when I was into uh, weightlifting. Goals were kind of a critical piece of it. But I've been doing some reading recently about this, about productivity, saying that habits are more important than goals. With habits, you will achieve goals naturally without having to set goals. And it's been something that's been rolling through my head for a long, long time. Or, or it's, been, it's been occupying a lot of space in my brain since I started reading about that. That about a month ago habits you know there's so many of these questions are based around goals but what about habits how do you feel about just establishing habits 
Oh, I, I feel establishing habits are huge. And I would agree. It's the idea of just naturally, you know, doing something and doing a practice or doing a training that will get you places. Like, um, like, like I said, a year is 365 days. So it's like, if you're not forming habits to kind of get there, it's going to be kind of more difficult. So I'm, I'm, I definitely agree with you on the idea of habits and it's going to feel a little less like slogging through a goal when it just becomes, starts to become something ingrained in you. And before you know it next, like next year is going to come around and you're like, wow, look at what I've accomplished or look at the projects I did or look at the, you know, the, this new outfit fits really well. Like there's, <laughs> you're going, you're going to just kind of look back and see those, that, that progress from you just developing these habits. And, you know, I, I think, I think that's huge. <laughs> Clover, it's always such a blast catching up with you. Thank you for offering up a little bit of motivation this morning. I think you helped a lot of people. Oh, no problem. And you know, it's a month, it's a month out, but there's still 11 more months, everybody, so we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of time to accomplish these goals. Let's start working on establishing habits. February will be the month of establishing habits, and then we can start working towards our goals again. Clover, thank you for this. Oh, no problem. Have a good one, everyone. That is columnist Clover Thursday offering some tips on how to keep your New Year's resolutions top of mind, keep those goals moving forward and keep those habits forming. Coming up next, community reporter Shaina Saravanamuthu will tell you everything you need to know about this year's Montreal Igloo Fest and Montréal en Lumière. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. To truly embrace winter, a city needs a certain joie de vie, a little joy of life, something to make those cold months pass by. If there's one city in this country that knows how to entertain itself or embrace any season, it is my old hometown of Montreal, Quebec. You heard a preview. A couple must attend winter festivals and stay in busy other ways in the city of Montreal as community reporter, Shiny Saravanamuthu. Hey, good morning, Shiny. Hi, how are you? I'm well. So, Shiny, you did something really exciting, something that I've <laughs> never even done as a huge hockey fan and a Montrealer. You went to the Toronto Maple Leafs Montreal Canadiens game a couple weekends ago. What was it like being at a Leafs and Habs game at the Bell Centre on a Saturday night? Honestly, it was always been a dream to do this, and it was the best Christmas present I could have ever gotten. I actually won the tickets. So that was a plus because there's no way I was going to afford these tickets, but it was insane. I think the crowd, whenever I think you go to a Leafs and Habs games, whether it be in Montreal or Toronto, I think the audience, the crowd is just so electric. I think that was the best part. And like when you're sitting so close to the front, you happen to be with people who actually really, really want to be at the game. So it was a great experience. So yeah, definitely. If, uh, I, I wouldn't. I don't see myself buying these tickets ever in my life. But if I can win them again, yeah, I would go for it. <laughs> what, what was the uh, Toronto presence like there that night? I, I know a few people who hopped on a train or drove down the 401 to spend a weekend in Montreal that game. I yeah, there was a few because you obviously they, they, the jerseys stick out, the blue sticks out, you know. So um, there was a few. There's a few people sitting on the bottom of uh, rows from us, and they were super excited in the beginning when Toronto scored, and they were like yelling in our faces. And then towards like after second period, they were very, very, very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have spoken about some experiences at the Bell Center before. You went to the Kevin, yeah. the Kevin Hart show last summer. Obviously, yeah. the hockey experience is a little bit different than the show experience. Any takeaways about, yeah. about the accessibility experience at the game? So I will 100% agree that sitting on the lower level is easier accessible-wise because there are fewer stairs to go down. Um, so when you're sitting on the front row behind the glass, there's only a few stairs to go down. So obviously when you're going down, it's because you're going to the game. There's not a huge bunch of, a bunch of people behind you rushing to leave. So, Cause when you're leaving, you're going up the stairs. There's only a few stairs and there's not much of like a, a rush. People going from always in the nosebleeds going down. I feel like they're in a rush and they push 
So for those of us who like to take our time, we feel like, oh, we're being rushed, or we wait till all of that crowd leaves. So in this case, I, I was able to leave when everyone else was leaving because I just had to go up a few stairs. And the bathrooms are, like, right there when you get out. The Bell Centre does a really so, nice job making sure there's lots of uh, bathrooms available. I will say that. I've had, yeah, I've had exactly. some good experiences there, too. I'm also someone who does not like to be rushed out of the building when the game ends. Yeah. I'm someone who will definitely take my time out. I was at a game in November, and uh, it actually got to the point security had to ask me and my friends to leave because we, we were just chilling. We were just chilling, watching the Zamboni clean the ice and, like, finishing our beers, <laughs> having a great time. Uh, yeah, I, there's something about the Bell Centre. It, it's really special. Yeah. How many uh, $20 beers did you drink? Honestly, I didn't drink it. We went for dinner before, so I spent money uh, at dinner beforehand, like in the Bell Center. Uh, but I didn't drink during the game. All right, I, I, I'm I, on a cleanse. I'm on a oh, no alcohol cleanse. Okay, so. <laughs> good for you. I am not. Uh, I yeah. think I took a second. I think I think I think I took a second mortgage uh, with the amount of beers I had at that game in November. But oh, let's God. leave it at there. Let's leave it there. Uh, Shiny, if hockey's not people's thing, there is a mm-hmm. lot of cool stuff that Montreal does in the winter, beginning with Igloo Fest. What's happening this yeah. year at Igloo Fest? So it started in that mid-January, so January 19th, and it's going to go up until February 11th. It happens uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights in the old port in the Croix-Jacques-Cartier. So basically, it's, it's for those of us, and I'm not going to say us because I'm not one of them, uh, <laughs> that like to go out, party, and in this case, you get to party outside. Uh, there's some cool DJs headlining um, from all over the world that come up to Igloo Fest. So it is quite a big event. Um, so there's all of that that happens, but obviously it's cold. They do have fire pits and everything to keep you warm. There's different activities to keep people moving so people don't uh, suffer from frostbite or like hypothermia. So, And also you're dancing, so I guess you're very warm and in cold temperatures. I wouldn't recommend going this weekend because it is going to be like minus 42 degrees. So uh, maybe not go this weekend. But so it is running up until February 11th. So you do have next weekend and the weekend after to enjoy this. Uh, But if you don't mind the cold and are willing to bite the boat, like, you know, like face the, 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 the coldness this weekend, go ahead. Uh, tickets do vary in price from $39 to $79.99, and some of them have packages that include a drink, or you can go with a group of friends. So just uh, check out the website on how you want to go about purchasing the tickets. It looks like if you go as a group of people, it can be cheaper. So, yeah, I guess for those of them that want to go out, I know some people are going to be on spring break, so I guess it's a great way to start off uh, your spring break towards uh, the middle of February. So, Definitely something to check out. I don't like the cold, so I will not be going this year. <laughs> I used to go back when I was younger, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was a I was a party boy once too, uh, Shiny, and I used to love Igloo Fest. But maybe as I'm getting yeah. a little bit older, uh, we'll leave Igloo Fest to the young people. IgloofFest.ca, IgloofFest.ca. It is a really cool festival, though. Like if you are going to Montreal, if you're visiting Montreal yeah. during Igloo Fest time, like you absolutely should go check it out. It's so so cool. It's kind of like Montreal's answer to Carnival in Quebec City. It's pretty darn cool. Mm -hmm. Another outdoor festival that's really worth checking out that's maybe a little bit more artistic is Montréal en Lumière. So what's taking place for a visitor to experience with this one? So this one kind of starts like after Igloo Fest is done. So Igloo Fest finishes on the 11th and then uh, Montréal en Lumière starts on the 16th and it goes up until March 5th. And this is also, um, this is in Place des Arts at the Café de Spectacle. So this one is a huge winter festival. It has food, concerts, free outdoor shows, outdoor activities, and, like, all-night culture parties. And, like, this is, like, if you're not into partying, but you want to go see the food area, you want to have a date night after, like, going to dinner, you want to walk around, this is a great place, you know? Like, it just has a, a lot for everyone. I feel like this is more, like, for all age groups. So this is a great place to be. I find, like, the food is always great. Like, I've always gone for dinner, and then we always hop over, and we go for a walk, and then we'll have something there. Uh, there's always some local artists performing, so you you might discover someone that you never heard about before, which is always great. So I highly recommend this one. And also, it's all lit up, so, you know, like, weaning off of the holiday, like, lights and beautiful bright lights is kind of a great segue to be having more lights in your life. I, I love that. So, um, 
yeah, this is something I would definitely recommend for people to check out. And it goes up until March. So, you know, even when it's like a getting a bit warmer, you can you can be out there and enjoying what the, what the city has to offer. Yeah, you mentioned the idea of having the lights going on throughout the winter. I was talking to my friend's wife about that on January 1st as we were driving through Montreal and we were noticing how pretty mm-hmm. it was with some of the Christmas lights still up and we're saying, oh man, they should keep lights up all winter long. Like the, the, the Basically, that the I light know. should stay up until March 21st when spring starts. But you know what? I think the cities have been very lazy this year. I'm not complaining. They're still up. Like my city and all, they're still up. So I'm not complaining. Yeah, no complaints at all. Yeah, you mentioned the Montréal Lumière is maybe like a little closer to like a family-friendly event. I would compare yeah. it in like in relativity to Igloo Fest. Igloo Fest is a little bit more like a music festival. It's a little bit more like Oceaga, exactly. for example, right? Like you're going to yeah. party, whereas Montréal en Lumière is a little bit more like the Montreal Jazz Fest, which is still a festival, but it's a little yeah. bit more casual, maybe, is, is the way I'd, I'd exactly. frame it. Exactly. And in between this like uh, festival en Lumière, uh, you have Nuit Blanche, which like falls in the middle, uh, like February 25th, and that's when not the metro and everything is completely open. And there's a lot more parties and like, you know, it's just more accessible for everyone. So that should be on February 25th this year. Uh, I don't think they have released all the information about Nuit Blanche yet, but they did announce the date. So that's in between this festival in the middle. Yeah, let, let's be clear. They should have the Metro running 24 hours a day every day. That would be really I nice. agree. I agree. <laughs> hey, sh- hey, Shiny, thank you for this. Always great chatting with you. Enjoy some of these festivals. I'm super jealous of your Habs and Leafs experience, but uh, we'll talk again in a couple weeks. Perfect. Take care. That's Bye. Shiny Saravanamuthu, community reporter in Montreal, Quebec. To find out the links and more about those stories we just talked about, ami.ca slash now is the blog address, ami.ca slash now. And listen, I'm always encouraging you to give some feedback onto the show. You just heard me mention very quickly, en passant, in passing, should public transit be running 24 hours a day? What do you think? Send an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. Give a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545, or find the show on social media at Accessible Media Inc. on Twitter and TikTok, at Accessible Media on Facebook and Instagram. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news update, and Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. Tom Brady retired this morning, so Brock and I will chat about that. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.